Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. What does the Catholic Church say about the first British-born baby who was born with DNA from three people after an in vitro fertilization procedure? That's IVF. I'll talk about that today on Trending, getting into a little bit of what this procedure looked like, what the church's teaching on this is, where we need to address it. I find myself confronting the issue of third-party reproduction, including in vitro fertilization and surrogacy, more often than not in conversations that circle around fertility and fertility and much to do with celebrity news. It's not just a topic of privilege. It's a topic where we're seeing many people, many couples, actually going into debt over the desire, the effort to have a child. And in the face of odds that have seemed against them and challenging to conceive naturally, turning to in vitro fertilization and the damage done to the woman's body, the couple's relationship, even the surrogate involved. But now we're also talking about babies being created that are biologically, genetically related to three different biological parents. That's significant. We're going to unpack that today on Trending. Also, what happens, hot topics today, what happens when parents say their kids are not transgender? There was this meme that was going around on social media last week, and it's a 1950s, 1960s mom and her daughter at the breakfast table. The mom's sitting there putting jam on her toast with a big smile on her face as she prepares breakfast for all the family members. And a sweet sweet little girl comes walking up to her, tips her head sideways and says, Mommy, I think I'm a boy. To which the mother says, well, you're not. How does that fare in the 21st century? Do parents say this? Can they say it? What would happen if they did? Well, we'll talk about that today on Trending. If we have time, we're also going to talk about the joy and sacrifice and 30 Catholic women scholars who signed a pro-abortion letter in favor of abortion. That's right. I said it. 30 feminist Catholic scholars who are saying they want abortion. They had some interesting arguments. If we don't get it today, to it today, I promise we'll cover it tomorrow. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. So this is really an interesting topic over the last couple of weeks, and I've done extensive research over the years on in vitro fertilization, the impact on the woman, the child, the partners. Uh, this fertility crisis is real. I myself experienced the challenge of surrounding my fertility. And I remember even just in the first year of my marriage, you know, I had mentioned in passing and just being really transparent with people who had asked, you know, about babies and whatnot, that I remember talking to a handful of people who, when I shared, yeah, you know, our husband, my husband, I hope to have children, you know, we're open to God's timing. It might be a little more challenging for us and potentially may not happen because of my Hashimoto's disease and polycystic ovarian syndrome. And Immediately, people's reaction is, oh, well, why don't you just do IVF? And to which I'd say, hmm, well, I think we've only been married not even a year yet, and 
I would like to wait uh, to really see how my body can naturally conceive a child. And if something's wrong, I'd rather treat my body rather than going through with the negative, negative impact medically as well as psychologically and interpersonally that IVF has on a relationship. In addition to the fact that if you didn't know this, a lot of babies are created in the effort of in vitro fertilization. And in that effort, many babies are really, I think we could say, and again, this is a conversation I've had multiple times, uh, treated in a way that's dishonorable that leads to the destruction and the death of the babies in an environment that was already hostile to new life, given that the parents were having a hard time naturally conceiving or carrying to term. So we're being uh, kind of being thoughtless with life when we're putting new human beings into an environment that has not been friendly toward human life, but also a selective reduction, quote, selective reduction is also a part of in vitro fertilization. And what selective reduction is, is actually abortion. And I can't tell you how many times I've had friends who, when I have this conversation on the radio or when I've talked to them face to face, they had no clue what selective reduction was. In fact, I have a dear friend who's a priest who's very well informed on life issues, but didn't know a whole lot about in vitro fertilization. And as he's been dealing with this with, you know, couples coming to him about infertility over the last couple of years, he said, you know, I keep having couples ask about IVF, to be honest. You know, I knew the church taught against it, but I didn't understand why. And he said, I had no idea that abortion was a part of the process, that that's what, quote, selective reduction is. And so that's kind of a Sparks Notes version of understanding some of the challenges with in vitro fertilization as we bump into friends, family members, even acquaintances and strangers who mentioned they're going through the process for in vitro fertilization or even surrogacy. I've shared this before. The day I was getting married, the woman who was doing my hair for my wedding was actually going through and taking shots and all these different medications, preparing her body so that she could be a surrogate for another couple who wanted to have a child but were having difficulties with fertility. And she was doing it because in her mind, she thought, well, my family needs more money. I don't want to work too much. I want to raise my children so I can use my body. I've had children before to help this woman. So altruistically, she wanted to help another couple, but also she was very pragmatic. She was selling her body to help other people. And in doing so, she would be carrying, she'd be the quote, gestational carrier. That's the terminology that's used uh, to carry other people's children. And there's a real fallout in the culture today when things like these occur, because what happens when the baby or later the adult wants to know his or her biological parents? What happens on a very deep intellectual reflective level, that child knows that something's missing, that there's a parent that they never knew when they discover that they were carried for nine months in the womb of another human being who physically carried them and nourished them for months. These children want answers. They want to know their parents. And so here we are, lo and behold, with the news that the first British baby was born with a DNA from three people after an IVF procedure just in the last month. Now, Catholic bioethicists have res responded with warnings. This is something that we knew was possible that has been uh, attempted. And I can't remember if a baby has successfully been born prior uh, to now with this, but we know multiple babies have been conceived. And I'll get into some of the data on this as well. But here's the bottom line. If I were to summarize this whole conversation of three babies, or sorry, three, there are actually three babies in this instance, uh, three human beings, unique human beings with unique genetic makeup, 
the conversation is this, and this is a summary of it. This is this is named mitochondrial donation treatment, or also known as a mitochondrial replacement therapy. It's misnamed because, to be clear, this is the destruction of two unique, distinct genetic human beings. It's not the donation of a human being's organs. It's not the consent of a human being consenting to have something donated. This is death, and death is never therapeutic. And it's voluntary death by the creators of new human life for the sake of another human life that never asked for these things to occur uh, for one to live. So the others would die so that one would live. So let's just begin with the facts. I know people are going to say, hey, you know, I have children from in vitro fertilization. I have nieces, nephews, grandchildren. I have family members, extended family members from in vitro fertilization as well. I know people who've also gone through in vitro fertilization with no success and have seen great damage done to their physical, biochemical makeup, their bodies, sending women into early menopause, destroying marriages. But no matter what we do celebrate, and I think this is very important, we celebrate the joy and the gift of every new human life. Every child conceived, whether through the intimate living act of husband and wife or in a scientific lab, Every child must be celebrated and valued for the very dignity of that distinct person that that child is. However, that doesn't mean that we can't acknowledge and discuss and address the damage and risk, both known and unknown, that are done to parents as well as the children who are conceived. So what I want to do today is break this down and really address this crisis that is occurring currently in the culture surrounding in vitro fertilization and three parent babies that can be created with some of the latest technologies. Again, this addresses an issue of just because we can, does that mean we should? And I'm really going to make a case-by-case -case argument helping us to really dive into why this shouldn't happen. If I were to summarize it in many respects, there are about, I think about 10 to 11 bullet points as to why this isn't something that we should be engaging in. And we're talking about it from a Catholic perspective, but a real medical and scientific perspective as well. So here's what's happening. This is a procedure. The process includes destroying two newly conceived babies. And basically what happens is you insert healthy genetic material into one mother's egg. You swap the genetic material out. I'll explain it more in detail coming up. So kind of just start out as a baseline. Many Catholic bioethic institutes across the world have spoken out addressing this specifically. This did happen in Britain. And so the Oxford-based Catholic bioethics research entity, Anscombe Bioethics Center, has actually commented on creating three-parent babies. And their insights include the comments surrounding the fact that this technique is a fracturing of biological parenthood. And they say the potential for serious unintended consequences. So what they're saying is that this fractures the parent-child relationship and that there's potential for unintended consequences. What does that mean? Damage is done between parent and child, multiple parents and child, not just two parents now. And there are also serious unintended consequences. What does that mean? Well, part of that is that we don't have full medical data and knowledge to the total long-term impact of creating a human being, editing out their genetic makeup, 
swapping in other gene makeups and moving on from there. It also, the Anscombe Bioethics Center out of Oxford, which is the Catholic-based bioethics center in Britain, says this is primarily unethical due to the destruction of two unique, innocent human beings who had inherent dignity and rights. This is a destruction of two embryonic human individuals, they say, to create a third individual. So the bottom line, two distinct human beings are destroyed to create the superhuman in this example. So I'll break this down as we discuss it. So the United Kingdom's Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority, which is that overarching umbrella there in the UK, addressing somewhat some regulation, kind of, over third-party reproduction. Well, they've acknowledged that as late as the end of April, that less than five babies had been born being via being conceived through this new technique. So what we're coming to understand is that we don't know how many babies have actually been born via this technique. The news has dropped that at least one baby in Britain has been born uh, through this effort uh, to create a three-parent baby. And why would someone want to do that? Well, We'll talk about it more in detail, but the bottom line is is that when there's a concern about genetic makeup of a child based on diseases that could be passed down by one of the parents, people start to play with genes. Gene editing, CRISPR, we could get into a lot of that data. There's a fascinating episode. We'll have to have them uh, on, but Father Nick Yander once came with us here on the show, and he is an incredible, incredible bioethicist, and we started talking about gene editing and things such as this and the concerns. We'll post a link on social media because it's a fascinating conversation with regard to some of the latest technology, and we'll have to dive into it more soon. But here's the bottom line. What the UK's Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority disclosed to The Guardian was that there have been at least 30 conception attempts through this new technique. So in other words, what this means is that there have been at least 30 attempts there in Britain to create these three three parent babies. What does that mean? That for every single baby that has been conceived at the very least, two babies died in the process. So we're talking about 60 babies with unique genetic makeup who have been killed to create the seemingly superhuman who is resilient to potential diseases. And I think that that's very significant. So we're going in and editing the DNA, diving into the mitochondrial, and we're destroying human beings in the process. To be clear, we're killing babies. Now, Newcastle Fertility Clinic in in Newcastle Hospital has a foundation trust, and they're actually one of the only places that is currently approved in the UK to attempt this process. Now, this was a provision that was allowed for them to start implementing in 2015. So we're talking about eight years, one clinic in the UK has been approved to move forward with three parent babies. Now, this is significant as I address this, because if you weren't aware, when we're talking about third-party reproductive technology, in vitro fertilization, surrogacy, and all of this, uh, there's next to no regulation over this, specifically in the United States, on in vitro fertilization, experimentation of embryos, all of it. People actually come from foreign countries to experiment on life here because we have some of the most permissive laws, or next to no laws, regulating the destruction and creation of human life via science. 
I, I wouldn't even call it science. It's, I mean, scientists experiment, but we're talking about eugen- eugenicists killing babies at the end of the day. And I think that's significant. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. And it is eugenics because we're killing two babies to create the superhuman that, again, I'll say it because I think it's really important, that is seemingly resilient to potential diseases. So how is this whole process done? Because I think it's significant. And stand with me because there's a lot, I think, to this whole topic. And I really wanted to take a deep dive on it, especially for people who are saying, how on earth is a baby created with three parents? It's not how you think. Don't go there. Don't think about it. That's the truth of the matter. I mean, I know there's a lot of experimentation today, but we're talking about genetic experimentation, not others that no one should be engaged in. Anyways, I feel like I'm having one of those like la 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 moments when something came up on the TV when I was a child. And my mom was going, la, 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 and quickly changing the channel. Uh, But I think we have to address that because when people hear, oh, a man can have a baby now, I I can't believe it. I've heard some of my closest friends come back and say, oh, did you know that the first man had a baby? And I said, no, let's be clear. This is a woman who says he's a man and she conceived and had a baby. And even if she had her anatomy changed down below and maybe had because she still has a womb and she carried the baby and then had a C-section, again, there are all these different pieces that are going into play. Uh, the bottom line is only biological females can conceive and carry children. Now, what's scary, there are uh, abilities for others to, you know, we're seeing in some of the scientific experimentation and attempts to address the fertility crisis. We are at the point where they have been able to achieve where a cow could gestate a child. This is frightening. It's a whole nother topic. I pray and I beg God that we have Uh, limitations on what we allow in this culture. I know people are moving towards surrogacy that would use a cow instead of a human being because of the fact that we have greater value for human beings versus a cow. Something goes wrong, you can have it slaughtered. Now, now, currently, if a woman, something goes wrong, uh, the person hiring that surrogate out is responsible for that woman's health care. And they will insist at times on slaughtering the baby in the womb if something goes wrong. But then you have the surrogate who has an opinion, who's been bonding and carrying this baby, who doesn't want these this baby to be killed. Because at the end of the day, these aren't surrogates. These aren't donors. These are men and women and children. And that's what we're talking about. And so there's a real attempt to dehumanize the situation uh, through the use of animals in the in- intervention here. This is a huge, I'll just be clear, you're listening to Trending with Timory. this is a huge bioethical crisis. Just because we can make a baby doesn't mean we should outside of the, the loving act of a husband and a wife. So how do you make a three-parent baby? And if you're just joining us, the latest news out of Britain came out sharing that the first Britain-born three-parent baby has been born. So this process, as I mentioned before, is called a mitochondrial donation treatment or mitochondrial replacement therapy. It's a part of an IVF process. It's also called three-parent babies. And again, just to be clear, I mentioned this earlier, and I'm really going to break down what's problematic with this later. Just to be clear, this is killing two unique, distinct babies with their own genetic makeup to create the superhuman third. It's called three parent babies, and according to the news outlet, The Guardian, about 99% of the genetic material actually comes from the chosen and intended mother and father, and the remaining genetic material comes from a egg donor, that is a woman's mitochondria. Now, here's what's interesting, because there are so many parents. So let's say, and I think this is significant, because 
in vitro fertilization is a medical process that can be done. I could say, could say, my husband and I could say, hey, we've had a hard time having children. You know, we're not going to go through this again. You know, pregnancies have been really hard for me. So I'm actually going to donate and harvest our sperm and egg to create a new distinct human life. So we could give our sperm and egg to make this happen. Or we could say, you know what? I don't really like the genetic makeup of my husband's sperm, so let's use another man's sperm. We'll use another man's sperm, my eggs, and then if we want to make a three-parent baby, because we're concerned about some of my genes, then you know we'll we'll swap out the the genetic makeup of mine so that hopefully I don't pass on what is perceived that I could potentially pass on to my children. So now we have the intended parent that would be my husband, me, an intended parent, uh, the sperm donation of another man. And then let's say if we're doing a third part, three parent baby, we would also then have uh, the donation of another woman's egg to vet out the mitochondria to insert the genetic makeup from my baby who was fertilized. And I could go on and on. The number of parents, intended parents, biological parents in this whole situation could include many individuals. Also, if you included a surrogate, if a surrogate carried the baby instead of me. So I'm giving you these examples because what's happening here is that one upon another upon another, many individual parents with vested interest, with interest, biological interest, hope for interest, financial interest in this child are involved. It's confusing. But imagine if you're the child of these individuals. How does that play out for them? Well, let's continue to walk through uh, the creation of a new human life via three-parent baby. So it's really a five-step process. First, the human person is created through in vitro fertilization. A man's sperm is used to fertilize a woman's egg. Then a second child is created now by researchers with a sperm from the same man to fertilize a different woman's egg who has a healthy mitochondria because the first woman didn't have a healthy mitochondria, but she was one of the intended parents. The second fertilized egg, which is a new distinct human life, uh, is being used by a donor who has a healthy mitochondria when the first woman's wasn't. The third step is to remove the nuclear material from the second baby these are two cellular structures known as the pronuclei. This nuclear material from the first child is then replaced with the nuclear material from the first baby. That's the fourth step. Now, the Anscombe Bioethics Center says this creates a third embryonic human being who has the nuclear DNA of the father and of one mother, but the rest of the embryo, including the mitochondria, is from the egg donor mother. That's how you make a three-parent baby. You're swapping out the genetic makeup using one woman's healthy mitochondria and inserting the genetic makeup of the intended mother and father into that new distinct human life. So what happens here? Let's be really, really clear. The Catholic, coming out of Oxford, the Catholic Anscombe Bioethics Center said the phrasing mitochondrial donation, which is what this process is being called, it's also being called, it's been given some sort of therapeutic name as well. Uh, what this process is, to be very clear, is misleading by the name of it. The Anscombe Bioethics Center said this is a form of cell nuclear transfer. 
in which the first two embryos, they say, are functionally destroyed by the removal of the pronuclei. And both parts, or sorry, and parts of both used to create a third embryonic human being. This is experimental murder. It's eugenics. To be clear, mitochondria not being donated like organs, rather two babies, two distinct babies in the earliest stages of development, who are referred to as embryos, are being destroyed to create a superhuman. And let's be clear, we need to talk about the donor, that is always a woman, the impact it has on her, and I want to walk through all of the moral, psychological, and physical implications of this entire process. So stay with me because it's a complicated issue that we need to see from a multifaceted approach, from the medical side, interpersonal, psychological dimension, which we will just barely touch on because there are so much data out there against three parent children, IVF and surrogacy, and this all falls into the same back camp. I'll be right back here on Trending to talk about the Catholic take on the news of three parent babies via third-party reproductive technology. You're listening to Trending with Timory where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Ooh, some hot topics today on Trending. You may have heard the news about the first British baby born with a DNA from three people after an IVF procedure. Now, I'm giving you the Catholic take on it because this is an important topic. I, If you weren't with me before, I talked about the crisis of fertility and infertility, the different things people are turning to do from surrogates to in vitro fertilization, artificial insemination, all of it. It is a mess. And I've really been breaking down concerns with all of that, but also I just explained, and I think it's really important, uh, breaking down the process of the three baby born uh, in vitro fertilization procedure, because I think I have to emphasize at the end of the day, and people will not really realize this because they hear terminology such as elective, selective reduction, uh, termination, and they don't always realize that includes baby. So for a three parent baby to be born, at least two babies with unique genetic makeup have to be killed in the process to create the superhuman who seemingly and hopefully and statistically speaking is intended to not have some sort of genetic disease or something that the parents do not want to be passed on. Two babies die. Two unique, distinct human beings die so that one may live. And just to provide some clarity here, the Oxford based and Scone Bioethics Center, that's Catholic, said the phrasing mitochondrial donation is what it's called, and it's misleading. They said it's a form of cell nuclear transfer. This is where two em- embryos, they say, are functionally destroyed by the removal of their nuclei, and parts of both are used to create a third embryonic human being. So what I'm going to do is walk through the impact this has on the donor that is always a woman who is also donating her eggs in the situation. And I broke down the whole process. So be sure to listen to this episode. You can catch it at relevantradio.com on the Relevant Radio app or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are there. You might know someone who might find this interesting, who isn't even a scientist, isn't even, or sorry, and isn't even Catholic, yet might be considering, you know, 
in vitro fertilization and other fertility treatments or might just think it's okay, I hope you'll share this episode. Again, RelevantRadio.com, the Relevant Radio app, or wherever you catch your podcasts, we're there, trending with Timory. So I'm going to explain 10 things as well that are problematic with three parent babies. But before I go there, I really, I can't say anything more without for a moment addressing the quote donor. In this instance, I'm only going to talk about the woman who is donating her egg, but we could also talk about the fact that a sperm donor, a man, could also be donating his sperm here. Now, this woman is referred to as the egg donor in this instance. Her own child uh, has been created, but with her egg and the sperm that has also been used to create the first baby and now the second baby with her, with her own egg. And her own child is destroyed in the process. I think that's very important. Even though she might just be donating her eggs, she's completely removed from the situation. For whatever reason she's donated, her own child is destroyed, is murdered in the process, and she is genetically related to the baby that's born. Now, this child is a person who will never be known for him or herself. That is those two children that are killed in the process of three-parent baby. IVF and egg donation is so extremely damaging for women. There are many side effects, which we could do a whole episode on this topic. In fact, we have, and we'll link to it on social media because it's a very important topic. I discussed it with uh, Dr. Susan Caldwell. We've discussed in multiple episodes. She is against in vitro fertilization, but she shares her story prior to coming to a greater medical, moral, religious understanding of IVF, actually has children via IVF. It damaged her, damaged her marriage, her body. There's so many things that can be said. But it's important to recognize just a couple of the side effects for a woman who donates her eggs. Ovarian hyperstimulation is very commonly the side effect due to drugs that are used. This also leads to early menopause and the inability to ever achieve pregnancy naturally on her own. It also, for many women, leads to polycystic ovarian disease, also known as polycystic ovarian syndrome, which can lead to both infertility as well as cancer. So when we're talking about this whole topic of three parent children, there are so many facets to the conversation. Many human beings involved, intended parents, sperm donors, egg donors, who are men and women, and the countless children whose lives are destroyed in the process. Not to mention the impact of the child who is born, if the baby is carried to term, who will not know all of his or her biological parents. So let's summarize the problems here. First, to be clear, this is misnamed. It's called mitochondrial donation treatment or mitochondrial replacement therapy. To be clear, this is the destruction of two humans, not the donation of organs, And death is never therapeutic, yet this is what's being used as a seemingly therapeutic medical treatment. So let's start with the first problem. Number one, we have to celebrate that every human life is worth celebrating. Every conceived child must be celebrated. The dignity of every individual person is good and important. We aren't saying that those children who have been born via this are bad. What we're saying is the process that was done was wrong. And so that's, I think, the first point is we have to acknowledge the good to then say, well, we must, number two, acknowledge the grave damage and risk, those both known and many of which are unknown to both the parents and the children. 
We have very, very little knowledge and recorded data of the long-term side effects of the genetic modification of a human person by this third parent baby that's been created. Or we still have very limited, unknown, and ungathered data on the impact, the long-term health outcomes of children via IVF, along with the many, should I say countless men and women who've gone through multiple rounds of artificial insemination and in vitro fertilization without ever achieving carrying a baby to term, seeing that baby be born. I have journeyed alongside and seen the stories of many men and women You can just follow on social media these sad stories where they lose one child after another, where they have stillborn babies. And then sometimes if they continue on the journey after countless rounds of in vitro fertilization, they might conceive a baby. But the impact medically to all those involved has been extremely negative. The impact of the relationship, I'll talk about that. So the second problem is that we must acknowledge the grave damage and risks, both known and unknown to the parents and the children. Third, in this situation of a three-parent child, let's be clear, two children are killed to create a third baby. A superhuman who is potentially free of a disease that there was a potential for. Again, we're talking about potentially free of a disease that could potentially be passed on. Think about this for a moment, though, especially in the age of artificial intelligence, robots, all of that. A human person is distinct. A person isn't a code. We aren't robots to be reprogrammed. Even though we can do incredible genetic modification, that doesn't mean that we should. We can be in awe of the capabilities, but that doesn't mean we should try or ever engage in it. Number four, the one living child who does survive this three-parent creation of new human life will have no knowledge of one of or multiple of his or her parents, usually the egg donor mother. That's what people call third biological parent. No knowledge, no relationship. This is really key because for a child to know his or her parent is a fundamental element of the identity of a human person. Think about it. All of us have parents. We have a desire to know and be known by our own parents when there are deficits in this, abandonment, the intentional placing of a child for adoption because a child's parents recognized they couldn't or didn't believe they could give that child what they wanted that child to have. At the end of the day, there's always that desire for a child to know and be known by his or her own parents. Adoption, remember, is for cases when a parent-child relationship is not possible in the way that God ordained it to be. And the best outcome perceived by the parent for the child is for the intended, for the parent to place that baby for adoption. That's radically different from a third, from a three-parent baby or in vitro fertilization, sperm donation, egg donation. Here, life is created with the intent and purpose that the child will never, ever know one of his or her biological parents. Before this baby's even created, that's the intention. To this day, and this is what's always been fascinating to me, as we talk about the fact that the United States has really no regulation on embryonic stem cell research, on in vitro fertilization, surrogacy, artificial insemination, 
Yet to this day in international law, international law still upholds the right of a child to be known by his or her biological parents. That's pretty significant. So let's move on to the next point, because that was number four. And again, I want to walk through this very pragmatically for us to understand. Number four is that one living child will have to have no knowledge of his or her parents. The reality, number five, is the reality of exploitation for money and medical fallout for the donor. These are significant. So let's be clear here. The donor, quote donor, is often a woman, an egg donor, who can do this often for multiple reasons, but many of which include financial reasons, out of financial desperation. Today, I really do believe that women don't as much so, might I say, sell their bodies and whore themselves out in that way. Today, women are selling parts of their bodies via egg donation to help pay off student loan debt, to help take care of their families. In fact, for years... I've seen advertisements advertising specifically to me because I have a background in fitness and dance for years saying, hey, you're the perfect candidate. People would love for you to donate your eggs and to have a baby whose mom was a dancer. And these are literally the ads I received online. And I remember when I graduated college, it said, hey, pay off your student loan debt. Make it happen. You need to down deposit a, de- a payment for something here. This is what you should do. So the reality is, is that we are seeing the exploitation for many and the medical fallout for these women who are the so-called egg donors. They're being exploited often as well for another person's financial profit. For example, I have seen firsthand when women who don't speak English have been brought into this country and recruited to be a donor or a surrogate for people who want to have a child via IVF or surrogacy. Number six, IVF is a medically and psychologically damaging, we have to understand this, a damaging process for all individuals involved. Why? Because there's a medical fallout leading to menopause, polycystic ovarian syndrome, uh, hyperstimulation of the ovaries. It's not healthy for men to engage in the act necessary to produce the sperm. And we could talk about so many things from the donors to the biological parents. All of it is a mess medically. But it is psychological as well. And I'm posting a link on social media as well as in the episode notes. An episode I did with one woman who's a medical professional, a physician, uh, who helps women struggling with fertility issues, but who she herself went through this journey of in vitro fertilization. She talks about the damage of it. Number seven, IVF harms a couple's interpersonal dynamic. It What happens, and I've seen this time and time again, from individuals who have never had children uh, to individuals who attempted to have children 30 years ago. The interaction between the two is damaged because they reduce often the other to a means to an end, that is the baby, that's to get a child from the other spouse. And the person's used essentially as an object of the other person's desire. And might I note that IVF and artificial insemination are often unsuccessful. So how damaging and shocking it is when you've used another person to no end and then find out it didn't work. I know women who are next to not functioning, low functioning, aren't leaving the home years after IVF treatments, both because of the medical fallout and the damage done to their psyche, to their relationships, their confidence. At the end of the day, this is point number eight, this leaves men and women parents of dead children through the process. 
And for many people, that's heart-wrenching when they realize that's the case. Number nine, the child becomes a commodity to be bought and sold by other individuals. To be created at all costs with no regard for the children who are destroyed in the process or the parents who are experiencing serious wounds in the effort to create a baby. The final point is this is a form of eugenics. It's population control, plain and simple. Here, the baby may only live if, statistically speaking, for this three-parent baby, statistically speaking, if this child is seemingly predicted to be a perfect and unblemished baby. All others are killed in the process. One lives to die. It's really interesting to me because if we look at just the consumer culture we live in, industry, food and flawed factory objects are treated better than babies. Think about it. Grocery stores have grocery outlets for blemished older food. Faulty furniture and other material goods that are created are often sold by third-party resellers at a discounted price. Yet here, young, innocent, defenseless human beings in the earliest stages of human life are created for the purpose of being killed to create the superhuman. This is one of those moments where I say, why is this possible, God? How can you allow this to occur? And some might complain that why would God allow this to happen? But I think for me, it's one of those moments where I have to contemplate the gravity of our freedom and that we are created to be free, but for the purpose of choosing what is good. It would be wrong for us to say, God, why did you allow this to happen? In reality, we have to recognize the responsibility we ourselves have for our own bodies, because IVF, three-parent babies, is damaging for us, and the responsibility of those children that we create. And I think that that's really the bottom line when it comes to this three-parent baby, and it's the Catholic take, the medical take, dives a little bit into the psychology. There's so much that could be discussed, but that's really a Sparksnotes version of understanding what's happened with the latest news of a three-parent baby. I'll be right back discussing what happens when parents say their kids aren't trans. listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back. Thank you so much for being with us and for supporting the work we're doing here at Relevant Radio. If you donated in the last week, thank you so much for your prayers, for your donations. We've taken your prayer intentions, we're praying for you, and we're so grateful we can continue to operate here and do what we do, bring Christ to the world through the media. However, if you haven't donated yet, although we met our goal of $3 million to cover basic operating costs, Father Rocky shared the news last week that we're trying to buy six new stations. So if you'd like to still support Relevant Radio, you can still donate. Just head over to RelevantRadio.com to donate. That's RelevantRadio.com. We would be grateful for any gift you have. And we actually still do have some thank you gifts to send to you as well. You're listening to Trending with Tim Murray here on Relevant Radio. Oh boy, so many hot topics today. If you missed the conversation earlier, it's a tough conversation, but I think important. Uh, news came out over the last couple of weeks about a child created with three parents, related biologically to three parents. I broke down what that process is in the creation of new human life, the destruction that occurs, two babies die essentially so that one would live, and all the problems from the impact on 
if there's a surrogate, the egg donor, the sperm donor, we cover a lot of facets of this. So I hope you'll go back and listen to that episode. But what I want to discuss now is what happens. What happens when a parent says their kid is not transgender? I'm hearing from you parents across the nation over and over again who are saying, out of nowhere, my child is identifying as transgender. My child knows better. Sudden onset. Uh, This came from left field. And it's really interesting to see how parents are handling this. In some instances, for example, Chloe Cole joined me here on Trending a couple weeks ago, and her parents just said, we aren't equipped to deal with this. We'll turn to experts. And therapists misled them and damaged their daughter with cross-sex hormones, as well as plastic reconstructive surgery, leading to a double mastectomy. And the fallout was intense. Praise God, she changed her mind. In fact, fascinating story. She was taking a child developmental class in high school, and she learned about the beauty of nursing a child, the benefits for baby, the benefits for mom, the bonding that occurs. And with sorrow, she realized she would never be able to breastfeed to nurse her own child. With sorrow, and that was the catalyst that led her to unravel everything, realizing that these were decisions she made as a child. That she did did indeed want biological children. She doesn't know now she'll be able to have biological children after all of the experiments that were performed on her bodies. And her parents were just seeking out help. They didn't know what to do. There are other parents who say, okay, we're going to affirm this identity because we're told by the media that if we don't, this child will commit suicide. And then there are other parents who say, no. In fact, there was a meme that went around uh, on social media of a 1950s mom sitting there preparing the breakfast for all her kids in her apron with a nice tablecloth on the table, trying to make it look really old-fashioned. And there the mom is buttering all the kids' toasts. And a little girl comes up to her, tips her head sideways and says, Mommy, I think I'm a boy. Where the mom then says, Well, you're not. And that's that. Can it really be as simple as that? I think that's the question some people are asking. Well, countless pieces of research point to the fact that when a child experiences or claims some sort of gender dysphoria, saying that they aren't their biological sex, something's going on, in 9 out of 10 cases, if the parents, if the educators, if peers don't just say, oh yeah, Susie is a little boy, But instead they say, no, Susie is Susie and you're still a female. Let's love you and help you where you're at, but not call you by a boy's name and not say that you are a boy. Well, what happens when we don't go along with the agenda? Nine out of 10 children, nine out of 10 children who were confused, experiencing some sort of gender dysphoric experience with time, with going through puberty, their confusion about their gender sex is resolved without any intervention. I think that's pretty significant. Yet today what's happening is that schools are going against parents without parents' knowledge and ushering them into a pro-trans identity, helping them to get cross-sex hormones. Therapists are saying this is the best thing you can do for your parent when parents don't know what to do and parents are terrified because they're being told by media and even some therapists that your child will commit suicide if you don't just affirm this identity. Now, last year here on Trending, I had a whole episode with 
an incredible mother known as Charlie Jacobs. And I'm going to post a link to the episode in the show notes for this show, relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever you catch your podcast. We are there. The title of the show is called How She Saved Her Daughter from a Transgender Identity. Educators went behind her back. In fact, unfortunately, in the Catholic school, too, to support a transgender identity. And she stepped in and intervened and has been having to undo the damage done to her child because that wasn't what her child needed. And her child speaks, actually, to that effect of how that wasn't what she needed. She didn't need a transgender identity. So affirming parents who think that they should just affirm their child's gender dysphoric identity think that this will improve the mental health, but it doesn't. And this is very contrary. There have been countless studies done on them, on this. Two studies just to cite a couple, one in 2016 by Schumann Crawford, specifically addressed the fact that no, children who identify as transgender and receive affirmation from their parents do not have better mental health comes and it does not prevent suicide. Another study by Durwood, McLaughlin, and Olson in 2017 also established the same exact issue, that in fact, the mental health of children whose parents usher them into a transgender identity, it doesn't help their mental health or suicide proclivities. The research is abundantly clear. Even on puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and even so-called sex changes that none of this helps a child to prevent them from a mental health crisis or suicide. In fact, although little data is gathered, when data is gathered, we're seeing 7 to 10 years after the choice to go through with these procedures and medical interventions that suicidality significantly increases. So what do you do if you're a parent and your kid's saying, no, I'm a boy, but Susie's really a Susie and Susie's really a girl, you say no. You give the support to the child, loving the child as your child, created intentionally, purposefully by God as female. Talk therapy, spiritual support, family support, social support, and medical support are what are helpful, not suddenly doing everything to go through with a medical, social, or legal transition. And that's that. And that's why I appreciated this meme, as simple as it was, referring back to the 1950s of a little girl going up to her mom and saying, Mommy, I think I'm a boy. The mom said, Well, you're not. Historically, this would have been something that would have occurred. Today, yes, we do need to give talk therapy, the right types of therapists. Reintegrative therapists are fantastic. The Breakthrough Clinic is excellent. If you have a child going through this, I'll post links on social media to these resources, along with a full episode where one mom shared how she saved her child from a transgender identity after educators and other people intervened trying to do otherwise. It's a real crisis, but what the church teaches about the reality of male and female as created by God is real, and we should focus on coming into that identity rather than rejecting it and leading to the medical and the psychological fallout that is happening in the culture today. Up next is a family rosary across America. You know, the word is spreading around America. This is the go-to place if you've got a prayer and you want the whole country praying for it. So I invite people to join us every night for the Family Rosary Across America Live. 7 p.m. Central. Bringing Christ to the world through the media. Relevant Radio.